had somebody stop me on the way. I was going downstairs for a second. I said, do you really, you really don't mind if we just sort of get up and go? We got Clippers tickets. And I was like, no, I'd get up and go if I had Clippers tickets. So um, feel free. Honestly, it's not going to bother me. So and then wave to us from TV. Um, if you got to come out this past Friday, we had an awesome uh, time gathered down at the parish. We partnered with City Prez and the parish church and ourselves. And, and we had a night of worship that we called a hymn sing where our sort of collaborative Worship leaders got together and, and kind of invited us into this sort of night. It was awesome. And so as we do more of these things, I really encourage you to come be a part of our local body of believers gathered together with the big church, uh, Universal. It's a pretty incredible thing when God's people gather across all kinds of lines and boundaries and begin to uh, live in a way that sort of glorifies Him. So we're excited to be able to develop these partnerships. The last thing we want to do is be some kind of independent little thing. We want to be interconnected deeply with churches all over the world um, celebrating who God is. So make sure you, you kind of come out to that kind of stuff because it's super awesome. And thanks to Don and Scott for all that stuff you guys put into making that happen. So it's very cool. Um, we have spent quite a bit of time in the book of Ruth. We actually started way back in September and we wrapped it all up last week. And Ruth is I, I say this kind of stuff a lot, but I really do mean it. It's like one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture because it's, it's the story of redemption. It's a story of a, a broken, marginalized widow who was hopeless and, and literally dying, who was purchased out of her old way of life and given a life of promise. And Ruth is really the story of, it's my story, it's your story, it's the story of the church, that we are all broken and marginalized, and that we are all desperate and dying, and that the true Redeemer, the God of the universe, the love and grace and resurrection of His Son purchased us out of death and set us into a life of promise. It's the story of every follower of Christ. And I love that story. And it actually is an incredible segue into where we're going over the next couple of weeks because Ruth is the story of the church. It's the story of the redeemed, purchased by the blood of Christ, set together to exist for his glory. And for the next two weeks, we're going to really be exploring the church. Now, if you've been coming for any period of time or been here for a while, you know that I've preached quite a few messages on the church. The church's mission, our call as community. And these two messages are really sort of not meant to stand alone. They are, are meant to support things that I've already talked about. And the reason I say that is because if you just were to be here and hear these messages, they're going to have a little bit more of an inward focus, right? They're going to be a little bit more of an examination of ourselves and who we're called to be and what it looks like to be a healthy church. But make no mistake, that's not the, the end goal of the church. The church is the sent entity. It is the, the body of Christ sent into the world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be the instrument of God. And so it's not an inward thing. But if we're going to look at it that way for just a little while. So it's got to go in partnership with some of the other things that I've taught over the while of our church being, of the church really being an expression of God's movement into the world and living as a sent people in the footsteps of Christ. So I say that as a little bit of a disclaimer because if you're here for the first time and, and we're talking about some four characteristics or foundational principles of what it means to be a healthy church in the book of Corinthians, you go, man, this church is kind of, they look at themselves a lot. The truth is, is that that's just to be a partnership with the bigger picture of the church. So I say that is a little bit of a disclaimer. But for the next two weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to explore today four foundational principles that I think are markers of a healthy church, a healthy 
kind of picture of what it means to live as believers. And then next week we're going to be talking about what it means to submit to Christ as the head of the church and what leadership in the church truly looks like as we kind of embark on this thing together. For those of you that are here for the first time, we really are a relatively new community and we're just chasing Jesus with everything we have and it's an exciting time to be part of um, our life. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and I want you to flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, we'll kind of get there in, in just a second. But by means of sort of catching everybody up to speed, um, let me tell you a little bit about my thoughts or what I think the, the picture of the church really is. So some of you have heard this a little bit before, but it's important that we're all on the same page. The word church, we actually get from the Greek word ekklesia, which really just means assembly or gathering. All right, so the Greek word is, of church is really what was references the gathered or assembled people of God. In our 21st century culture, and even actually before that, um, in the past centuries, we've come to associate the idea of church with buildings. We've become to associate the idea of church with a place that we can go to and a place that we can leave. We put pictures of our churches on postcards and on our bulletins, and we kind of honor the shrines that we've built with our own hands. And they become identification tools to the world of who we are. Now hear me say this, church buildings and places and worship gathering spaces are not all in themselves wrong. But when they become the definition of who we are, we're walking a very dangerous and precarious line. Because the gathered people of God, that's the church. This building says no more about the church, of us as a church, than if we were to meet at the zoo. The reality is it's a space that holds us. It's a building, it's a place. But unfortunately, we have exchanged that truth with location, which means we use terms like, I'm going to church. I'm leaving church. The reality is if we use those terms correctly, there is no going to or leaving. You are the church. When you gather at Panera for lunch, when you're done here or wherever, you are the church there. When you eat at your home and invite friends over, wherever you live, you are the church. When you are gathered as believers in any shape or form, you are an expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. You are the church. But we bought into this picture that church is something we can go to and that we can leave. And so as long as I put on my sort of spiritual identity when I'm here, then I'm good. And then I can be something else somewhere else. But the reality is, the truth is, is that when the people of God gather, any form or fashion, we are a representation of the gospel to the world. We are the church. That word ecclesia means assembly or gathering. This building, this little thing that we're in, we just rent it. It'll never define us, right? We could pick up here and move to the park. We could pick up here and move out there, over here, and we are still the gathered church. Now, that's important, and I want you to know what's important, because in order to understand markers of a healthy church, foundational principles of a healthy church, we have to understand what the church is not. We cannot be defined by spaces. We are a gathered people. Okay, so that being said, which I know you've heard me say multiple, multiple times, um, is important, and it's, and it's, it's laying the foundation for what we're going to dive into in the book of 1 Corinthians. So the reason I want to explore it this way is because I think that oftentimes we, we sort of look at the church and we, we remind ourselves of what we're called to be, but we don't put markers out there to kind of identify our own health, right? And there are volumes and volumes and volumes of books written on church health and what church looks like and how this can be healthy. And I, I think those are all great, but I think there's some internal markers in scripture that are, that are really important, that probably more important than all the books that have been written about it, that if we just take a second and look at and use as tools to say, what is Divine Community Church really? And are we walking in a way that's healthy and that says, God, we want to honor you in everything we do? And that's what we're going to explore in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you've got it, flip to it and let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the next moments. I thank you that we are here together. 
in this place to open your word and be taught by you. Uh, Lord, we also recognize that there are churches all over this city, all over this country, all over the world that are gathered in similar fashions, whether in different time zones, in different times and days, God, but we recognize that we are part of that great movement that is the body of Christ. Lord, we pray this morning that the churches that are meeting as we meet would be encouraged, God, that they would be um, caught up in your spirit, Lord, that you would move in them. Even the churches up and down western, right here in our own vicinity, our own backyard, God, would have encounters with the living God that might forever change them. And Lord, we pray the same for ourselves, that we might encounter you in a way that would forever change us. Lord, I pray that you would move in us. We know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you, and we don't take it lightly. And so, God, teach our hearts this morning. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to move in you this morning. Just ask God to to teach you something new about his character, about his person. Just ask God to teach your heart. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you, in front of you, behind you. Just pray for them. As I say each week, be in the habit of praying for other people. Take a moment and just just pray for somebody else. Lord, we pray that you would move this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... The book of 1 Corinthians was really written to address, Paul wrote it to address some very specific but deep problems that was happening in the early church in Corinth. And and like most of the letters that we see in the New Testament that are written by Paul and a few others, they're written to address issues. A lot of times we think that the New Testament church was perfect. In fact, I've had read books and books by people that are going, we need to get back to the New Testament church. The, the you know, 21st century modern church has missed it, and we're going to be a New Testament church. The reality is the New Testament church was as messy as we are. They fought, and they struggled, and they followed the wrong people, and they f- looked for themselves, and they did this, and they did that. And a lot of Paul's letters were written to correct the same things that we're dealing with today. So there wasn't a perfect time to be the church, because the church is always made up of imperfect people. So the reality is when you gather sinful people together... We mess up, and that's exactly what was unfolding in Corinth. The church had been split, and they had been kind of divided over a bunch of things, and Paul was really writing to address these issues. And I kind of, in a very simplistic way, can categorize it in this way. There were two major things that were going on in the church at Corinth. One was spiritual immaturity, and the other one was division, right? Those two things were at the root of every single problem that was unfolding in Corinth. Their spiritual immaturity was leading to division. I'll be honest with you and tell you those two things are what plague our church today, and I'm not saying church just this one, but the church, big C. Spiritual immaturity, which leads to division. Now, I'm going to reference the church in two ways, and this is just kind of good for everybody to know. The church, when I talk about the church, I'm using a a big C, which is like the universal church. We're told in Scripture that as followers of Christ that have been renewed and remade and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we are a part of the universal church, all right? So we are a part of a, a movement of believers that spans time and generations and boundaries and races and languages, and we are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, period, not defined by denominations or stylistic worship or whatever. We are united with believers all over the world that came before us and that will come after us. That is the church universal big C. But we are also defined by the church particular, the church that gathers like this, the small unity of a group of believers that are gathered together to worship God. So we are very much part of the church, but we are also a particular 
church. So don't get too confused when I talk about church and, and little church because I, I really mean kind of a couple of different things. We are part of the big picture universal, but we are also gathered here as a community of believers, which can be referenced as the particular church, this gathering, this community. Well, Paul was writing this letter to Corinth to address a particular gathering of believers in Corinth that were struggling with immaturity, which was leading to division. And a lot of what he's going to tell us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is written to address this idea of division because the church was fractured in about four or five different ways. Some saying, I'm learning from this and I'm doing this and I'm following this guy and other people saying, you're wrong and we're doing this and we're going to do our own thing and just a, it's, a, it's a microcosm of what's happening in our churches today. So Paul's writing to, to address those issues and I think he lays out four markers, four foundations that every church, every particular church including ours should have as a hallmark of who they are. So um, it's not an exhaustive list, but I think it's a pretty good one. So let's take a look at this together. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 12. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though it, all of its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we are all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body seem to be weaker, that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that, they are, so that there should be no division in the body. But its parts should be and have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So, a long little section of text to get us to a couple of really important places that I think that we need to look at and examine as we explore what it means to, to live as part of the church universal but exist as the divine community church. All right? And the first one of those principles that we see addresses one of the major points of this entire letter, and that's this. A healthy church lives in unity. A healthy church lives in unity. And Paul starts this letter by, by basically kind of comparing the church, the local church, the particular church, to the human body. Now, I don't know if I told you this before, but my freshman year in college, my, my first semester in college, I was a pre-med major. So actually, you can go back and look at my transcripts. I was pre-med. So I'm a little bit of an expert when it comes to things medicine. I, I did change my major to the much more intense and practical general studies after that. But I was pre-med for a semester. The problem was I took two poli sci's in English and a medieval history. And so I didn't dive into the medical classes before. It was just too hard. But I ended up, but so here's my thing. I like to think that I'm a doctor or a surgeon or whatever. And so I'm an expert on anatomy and medicine. So if you need anything, let me know. But when Paul compares the 
church to the human body. It's a remarkable thing. Because, I mean, think about the human body for a moment, right? Like 206 different kind of bones that make up this thing. 650 skeletal muscles. 210 types of cells that all sort of work together to form this thing. It's actually an incredible testimony to creator God and and the, and the, the beautifully complex way he orchestrates this thing. But this is what Paul does. He equates the body of Christ, the church, to this instrument that God has created called the human body. Meaning that all these things have got to come together in some way, although very different, to make this thing work, right? And he says, listen, the body of Christ has got to be unified because there is one body made up of different parts. Now, unity is an interesting idea because in our church, or at least in our church culture, in our kind of Western culture, and even our modern culture, we equate the word unity to the idea of inclusiveness, meaning that, okay, unity somehow means that I have to accept everything from all people. And we take it as sort of a plurality of theology or plurality of belief. And so unity means we're all going to be unified. It means that I have to completely be on board with everything that everybody else does, and then somehow we can be unified. But that's not really what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about a unity for unity's sake or for cultural happiness. Paul's actually talking about being unified for one singular purpose. The singular purpose of being united by the Holy Spirit to live as a representation of the gospel to the world. It's why the church exists. We exist for the glory of God, right? For the ability to be obedient to the scripture, to love each other in community, and then to take that love of Christ into the world around us. It's what unites us. We are united By our common love for Christ, the regenerated nature by which the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in our lives and makes us new. Unity is not unity just for the sake of everybody being happy. Unity means that although very different, although different races and backgrounds and socioeconomic kind of lifestyles, we are united under one banner, the banner of the gospel. That we have been connected that way. And we may think very different things on certain stuff. We may vote different ways. You may like different things to eat. Whatever it is, that does not do away with the fact that we are united for one singular purpose. And oftentimes we'll get the two confused. We think in order to be united, we all have to agree on every single little thing outside of gospel truth. Not simply the case. The reality is that unification in the gospel sense means that we are united by a common love. It means that what bridges us together is our love for Jesus. I've got seven people in my life that are, it's considered men that are, are in my best friend kind of circle. We've been friends for years and years and years since college. We met together every Monday night for five years. These guys are hugely important. They are so incredibly different than me in so many ways that we always joke about the fact that the only reason we are friends is because of Jesus. Like, there is no possible way that all of us could be friends in any other category because they came from crazy different walks of life than I did. They were engaged in different things. Our paths would have never crossed if we weren't united by Christ. Those of you that experienced mission anywhere, whether it be local or whether it be across the globe, will know that you are united by being followers of Christ. And every time I go somewhere, and I've had the privilege over the years of being in like 36-something countries to share the gospel of Christ with groups and with people. And every place I go, nobody ever asks me what denomination I'm in. Nowhere. The only place I ever get asked that is here in the United States. But overseas, the only question I ever get is, are you a believer? Because we are united by something greater. Unity for the sake of unity, right, is not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the fact that we are by all these sort of stretches of being different, united under one. 
So the reality is, is that one of the markers of a healthy church is the fact that we're unified for purpose. Unified in our common love for Jesus Christ, redeemed by his grace, with a passion for the church, with a commitment to submit to the word of God, and then to live on mission where we live as a sent people in the world. We're unified. But then Paul goes on to say something a little else, something a little different. He says, now, listen to this. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The foot should say, because I'm not a hand and not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the eye should say, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of hearing be? Listen, or sense of sight be. The second marker of a healthy church is actually diversity. Now think about this for a minute. When we put unity and diversity, all of a sudden, maybe those things don't seem like they go together. But the reality is they don't go together because we're either misdefining unity or kind of giving a wrong definition of diversity, right? Diversity isn't some old wooden ship that was used in the Civil War era, like Ron Burgundy would say. Diversity is not that, right? And unity is not just kind of agreeing for the sake of being in agreement. But they go hand in hand because although we are different, dramatically different, we are united. Now the church historically has not lived well in diversity. In fact, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. used to say that the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, right? And the most segregated school day is Sunday school. He was often fond of saying that because the truth was that's where those lines existed from a racial standpoint. The reality is 50 years later, the church isn't all that different, right? We are still gathered together by socioeconomic huddles, by racial huddles, by all those kind of things. A marker of a healthy church is that at every corner, we should be fighting against that. That our goal should be to kick down all of those barriers and say, I don't want to be in a place where everybody looks like me. I don't want to be in a place where everybody lives where I live, where they're all of the same age bracket, they all have the same income levels, and everybody agrees on every single little thing, and we all hold it in common, and I gather with people that are just like me. The reality is what Paul's saying is that's not how the body is made up. If every single part of the body looks like you, talks like you, lives like you, buys the same things you buy, can buy the same things you can buy, or can't buy the same things you can't buy, Where do we exist as a differentiated body? How do the ears work? How do the eyes work? How do the feet work? It can't happen. The church at every corner should push and fight for diversity. We should want to be engaged in a church that has homeless people sitting next to the wealthy of wealthy. We should want to be a church that has all different races and genders and backgrounds that are sitting here saying, listen, we are united by our common love for Christ, period. And if I wake up one day and I go to a church where every single person looks like me, every single person comes from my neighborhood, and every single person agrees with me on everything, I should ask myself a few questions about where I'm going to church. The reality is that the church should fight for diversity. It should fight for reconciliation. It should fight for racial reconciliation. It should fight for the marginalized, to win those to Christ, to bring them into our fold. I've told you this before, but Shane Claiborne wrote a book called Uh, irresistible revolution in it he talks about the church becomes a church right the people of God become the people of God when the rich eat with the poor not when the rich go down to the city rescue mission and serve the poor and stand behind the counter and say hey look here's what I have to give you but when the rich eat with the poor and what he means by this is that when you sit down at a table with someone and you share your life and you say how are you and you listen to stories and you learn that people have names Everything changes. Everything changes. And when you're a part of a body that's got people in their 70s and people in their months 
And you have people that don't look like you and people that get picked up from the street and people that sit across from you that you don't know and that you know don't come from your neighborhood. That's not a terrible thing. But diversity can't exist without unity. It's not diversity for the sake of diversity to say we want to represent all the world. No. Diversity has to be partnered with unity. We're diverse, but we're unified in our passion for the gospel, our commitment to God's word, our commitment to each other, and a desire to take that to the world around us. See, oftentimes we try and do one without the other. We try and do unity for the sake of inclusiveness, or we try and do diversity for the sake of being representative. And the reality is that when you take those things apart from each other, they're fallacies in the church. We are diverse, and in that diversity we have to be united. Common threads, common purpose, common passion for Christ, right? The goal is not simply to just be different. And be united because we accept everybody. That is not theologically accurate. The reality is that diversity and unity go hand in hand because of what we're unified in and what we represent. So then Paul goes on to say, so so first two markers that I see of a healthy church, unified, diversified, right? The The third one is this, look at verse 18. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If we were all one part, where would the body be? The third kind of marker of a healthy church that I see is interdependence. A church has to be interdependent on each other. It means that the people in this place, they have to matter to you. That we can't exist without each other. Right? Paul's saying that the, the body doesn't exist if the parts aren't existing together, aren't dependent upon each other. He has arranged them, God has arranged them the way that he has them so that it will work and function. God has created all of our different parts, all of the different giftings, all the different things that we bring in all the diverse ways to be dependent upon each other. You know where this breaks down? This breaks down when culturally we've been taught that church is about me. I mean, this is what we've been fed. We've been fed a consumer mentality of church that says, church is about me and what you have to offer me. And here's how it plays out. We decide that we're going to go find a church, and so we church shop. We walk around to these different churches on different Sundays, and we go and we value and we measure and we judge what they're doing based on what I need. We listen to their music, we listen to their preaching, we listen to their stuff, we go to their kids' activities, we, we value and we look and we apply it to our lives, and we say yes or no based on what you give me. Then we finally decide that this church has enough to offer me and we decide to plug ourselves in. And then when the church leaders of the church does something we don't like, we complain or gossip or stomp around or threaten to leave because you're not doing what fits into my understanding of what this church should do for me. And me and my money, well, we're going somewhere else. Or please me. Because I know that all I have to do is walk down the street and there's a church that will please me. We have set up a buffet, right, of consumerism for the church. There was a church outside of Austin, I grew up in Austin, there was a church outside of Austin that was a massive church. And their big slogan, honestly, was 31 different, they went to Baskin Robbins, 31 different flavors of worship. And they offered, during the course of one week, 30 different worship styles for anybody that might possibly have any kind of hankering or inkling, everything from alternative grunge to whatever, I mean everything. And my thing was, look, I understand it's not terrible and it's not wrong and you're trying to reach people. That's not my point. My point is is that it feeds into the idea of saying, what do you have to offer me? Because I don't like this, so give me something that I will like. And we sit there and we say, and if I don't like it, then I will go somewhere else. This is where interdependence, interdependence breaks down. Because it becomes about me. Church becomes about what you have 
to offer me. I don't like this. I don't like that. They don't do this song right. This guy's not funny enough. Whatever. We are leaving. Now, interdependence breaks down there. Here's the thing, and I ask you this honestly. What if this wasn't about you? What if church, honestly, the gathering wasn't about you? What if it was first about glorifying God, all to his glory, and second about everybody else? What if it really was about how you walked in here and you said, God, how can you use me today to impact somebody else's life? So let me ask you this, as you walked in here this morning, who did you meet for the first time? Who did you listen to? Who did you hug? Who did you love? Who did you tell that you were glad they were here? Who did you engage with? Who did you share your heart with? Who did you invite to go eat lunch with you and your wife? The reality is, a church that's interdependent interdependent on each other says it's not about me. What if I said, God, I want to show up at church today, not so what I could get out of it, but instead how you might use me to speak life into someone who is absolutely hurting. The reality is, is that we have people that walk through these doors every day that are deeply, deeply wounded that are here for the very first time, that have driven by for three and a half weeks and seen signs outside and decided with all they are, one time to gear up enough courage to park their car and walk in these doors and hadn't been to church in 12 years. That may be your story. And they trickle in. What if just the thought happened for you that it wasn't about getting myself out of bed because I didn't really want to come because they're not going to sing songs that I like or whatever. I'm looking for something. But it said, I'm going to show up today and I'm going to say, God, use me. And I'm going to look for that person standing in the corner who looks like they've never been here before. And I'm going to say, you know what, I'm glad you're here. Sit with me. What if we became interdependent in that way? That we became to be more than just shake hands and eat donuts, but say, I want to know and be known. See, a healthy church is dependent upon each other. It doesn't exist without it. Period. And I ask myself that question about this church all the time. Because the reality is, it's hard. It's really hard. Because we've been wired to get in and get out. We've been wired to walk in the door, grab our coffee, sit in the back so we don't have to truly engage, and then slip out before everybody else sort of grabs us and gets our time. That's how we've been wired. And actually, churches program that way. They program for a 55-minute experience, so the moment you hit the parking lot, you're done with 55 minutes and you can be on your way. It works, that's fine, but that's not what I see laid out in Scripture in terms of messing up lives together. So, Don and I have this conversation before. We want you to linger. Like, we want you to sort of feel awkward around each other. I don't care, because when you're awkward around each other, you're becoming somewhat vulnerable, where you're saying, hey, nice to meet you, I'm glad you're here, you're here for the first time, and they go, no, I've been here for two years. And you're like, I knew that, I'm just kidding. That's okay. Look, no one cares. Nobody really cares. Just the fact that you extended your hand and said, I have not met you yet. And I can't believe that because we're only 130 people. So I've seen you about 500 times. It's nice to see you. Glad you're here. Like, we need to become dependent upon each other, reliant upon each other. So a healthy church, a healthy church is, is unified in our, in our passion, our regenerated hearts for the Holy Spirit, our passion for Jesus our commitment to his word, our commitment to each other, and our passion to take that gospel to the world. We're unified, but we should be pushing for diversity. Look, you should look around and say, who are we not opening our doors up to? To the disenchanted, the angry, the people that look like this, the poor, the rich, the whatever. Let's, let's strive, because that adds depth and richness to us. When I can eat with someone who doesn't look like me, when I can share in a small group with someone who doesn't come from my same background, has no understanding of what that is, that's not a terrible thing. 
push for diversity, fight for it. Fight for those marginalized so that they can be part of our community, right? And to live interdependent. And then finally, last one, then we'll, we'll be done. Last one is this. This is kind of, Paul says this, and I won't read all of 21 down, but the last part says, there should be no division, verse 25, in the body. But all its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And right before that, Paul talks about the value and worth of every single piece of the body. A healthy church recognizes that every piece, every individual heartbeat has incredible value and worth, not only to the body, but to Jesus. So you know what that means, honestly, and just being totally transparent? It means that that person you can't stand has value and worth. It means that that those people that you absolutely can't stand because they make you crazy are actually created in the image of God. He values them and have value to this community. And that we as a church should be giving value and worth to every single person. Now this is countercultural too because in our church culture we celebritize pastors and worship leaders. And those that are the loudest and most attractive, well they get places of prominence. Just turn on your TV. Go to any massive church and you will see very quickly, right, the different levels of, of importance that people play. It's natural even here. Even here. Every single person in this community, and what I mean by person in this community means every single heartbeat that God has ever brought through our door has value and worth. Even if you don't like them and don't want to give it to, to them, you better get over it. The reality is they are valued, created, and made by God. He has breathed life into them. In fact, Psalm 139 says that he knit them together in their mother's womb. That he made them fearfully and wonderfully. So get over yourself a little bit. Realize that they have value. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends and hold hands and skip down Western when you leave. It just means you have to understand their value and worth in the kingdom. And the little things they do to make you crazy, well, that's all right. A healthy church understands that people have value and worth, and we lift those up. In fact, Paul says, right there, he says, and those that aren't seen, we elevate. Right? Those that the culture says don't have prominence, we give value to. In other words, we create space at the table for even those that aren't attractive, both emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever, and we ascribe them value because that's how God sees them. So I don't care what your scars are, I don't care what your background is, what you did before you came here. I don't care the 15 years that you spent before you ever walked through these doors, and I don't care the 15 years that you'll spend after. The reality is you're valued by God. That he has marked you and called you his own, and that we want you to meet Jesus. And that changes your identity completely. And you have value and worth here. Most of us don't engage the church when we don't step through church doors because we don't feel like we belong. Whose fault is that? The church's fault. Not church big C universal, but church particular. Because we're not ascribing value to people. Every heartbeat that ever walks through these doors is an absolute gift from God. It's not a number. It's not a thing. It's not somebody to count. It's a heartbeat with a name, and it has value, and we have to ascribe value to it. A healthy church lives this way. A healthy church lives unified. And lives in diversity and fights for it and fights for the marginalized. A healthy church is interdependent on each other deeply. It becomes vulnerable. And a healthy church 
ascribes value and worth to those who God already tells us have value. This is not about you. It's about Jesus, and then it's about us. So is this who we are? No, but it's who we can be. We are a church made up of radically imperfect people, led by radically imperfect people, to serve a God that is beyond all perfection. And a God who is in the business of redemption, who takes the broken and the despised and the widow and the hopeless and the fearful and the afraid and the afflicted and the broken and says, I am so deeply in love with you that I will rescue you. I will die for you. And then we gather together, that group of messed up, broken people and leaders, and we just say, Jesus, help us live this together. This is who I want us to be and who I will fight for us to be. After all, this is what health looks like. If we cease to be these things, we will die spiritually. And we will cease to just be a church that has a building like countless, countless others in this country that take up space. I will fight against that with everything I have. Health, unity, diversity, interdependence, value, and worth. It's a gospel picture. It's our call to be together. Let's pray together.